0: Twenty-seven weeks, and uh, or thirty, or however it may have been, but um, cannot wait for these next eleven weeks. Special guest, like Scott McAndrew, uh, joining us. Very grateful uh, for Scott and um, well his ministry at our church, and and uh, so you know you'll have um, additional great insights uh, in, in the days to come, and we're we're very grateful. Um, great, when you pray <laughs> for us. And maybe, uh, or maybe start in 24, let's scoot back to chapter 7, verse 24, and then read to verse 4, Let me, before we do, let me ask you to do a couple things, um, if you would please, for the next 11 weeks, what do we got there, 77 days or, or so, 70 days probably, because we're starting with a Sunday and ending with 171. <coughs> If you'd read Romans 8 every day, I I timed it today with a guy that lives in my phone. One minute and 51 seconds is what it took him. He's a pretty good reader, but you can read it by yourself quietly and probably get even faster than that. So for five minutes, what a great, that is one third of one percent of your day. So take a shot at, in that investment, I think it'll be life changing. Secondly, um, go ahead and memorize it. That's a little a step up from just reading it. Papa has, Josh Chronic has, um, Jared has that in a couple hundred other chapters. So <laughs> that would be a a great um, opportunity to do that, and I think it will be a forever well of uh, just good and refreshing news as we um, think through this. And so, thank you so much, Grant. Can you read that in Brave Force? Starting at 24? Yes. Sir. 724. <clears throat> Wretched man that I am,
1: who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Heavenly Father thank you for this day uh, thank you that we can gather together so freely with other believers and discuss your word and Father thank you for Romans 8 and the beauty and the encouragement is, and Father, I pray that it wouldn't just be another um, famous chapter to us, but that we would deepen our understanding and insight into this wonderful text, and that it would change um, how we live, Father, and I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Would you guys uh, share with how this has impacted, or how this is related to what we watched yesterday in the video? What um, what what made you think of uh, some of those great truths starting right here, or maybe in chapter one to seven? Anything there?
2: I can say something, and hopefully Grant will share it too. But <clears throat> I think you know we talked about propitiation, imputation, penal substitutionary atonement, and the film picks up on these themes uh, and covers them in depth and gives such a sound biblical scriptural treatment of those ideas. I think. The film, I you know, there's so much false teaching out there and so many teachers that would deny such central and core truths of the Bible and of the gospel. And so I think yesterday just, I mean, it covered a lot of ground, but it reminded me a little bit of how God is just and he's the justifier. But being a just God, he has to punish sin. He cannot let sin go free. And uh, we have a great Savior who came and absorbed the fullness of God's wrath and just hearing those teachers uh, walk through those things especially contrasted with the false teachers and the false ideas of what the gospel is was really good
0: yeah grant it's been so fun to hear you talk about propitiation kind of a new maybe lover uh ability to apply that and maybe ever before would you say yeah that film i think is kind of what ignited started that it, yeah. for me i watched it a while back
1: like, wow, this is a really important, you know, the gospel central to us, and this is sort of a central pillar of the gospel, you know, substitutionary atonement, and I don't know, when I watch the film, it's so clear the way they, you'll, you'll hear sort of a sort of squirrely idea from somebody, and then they'll just post the scripture on the screen and go through why that's not true, and I think the film made me want to know my Bible better, because um, I think if I was in a conversation with somebody, you've probably been in that situation where you hear something and you sort of know it's wrong, but you don't really know why. And then they say, well, why is it wrong? And and you can't, you don't really have anything to say, and then you go away later and you sort of look back at it and you sort of go through like, okay, it was wrong. But it seemed to put words and sort of fill out those categories for me from the Bible of why it's such an important doctrine. I think in the film they called it the forgotten doctrine, yeah, perhaps. Um, and it's so important, and it was really striking to see the people that started wavering on it where they went, just the progression of it, those, those sad, sad people that they presented, uh, just the inevitable outflow of getting rid of such a core tenet of the gospel, it inevitably leads to apostasy or I some, what- some sort of it uh, no. Where you're basically no longer a Christian. Really slippery slope. Uh, so it was, yeah, really slippery slope. It was, it was a striking
0: film for sure. Wow, oh, that's great. Scott, anything on that? Now, let's look at this. This is the day. Several people have called this. Uh, the greatest script- chapter in Scripture. Scott, you were talking about how Thomas got rebuked by that. Can you tell us about that? It's kind of a funny little, yeah. little story, because it, it, you can say in one way, how could we call anything the best chapter in yeah. Scripture?
3: Yeah, he was teaching on, I think, uh, the Sunday nights at, uh, his, at the church for uh, First Pres I think, in Jacksonville. He preached Sunday night, and he said he began saying this is the greatest chapter in the Bible, and that's kind of how he began his whole thing. He said, after the, the message, he said, a deacon, he said, uh, came up to him and was like, you know, what, what are you doing? All scripture is inspired. Why are you talking like this? And he said, he told the guy to chill. He just said, like, kind of chill, calm down. He said, somebody is dying. Christian is dying. You have two minutes on the clock. What are you going to pick? Romans 8, or are you going to take First Chronicles, the first seven chapters, all these names? He said, the clock is ticking down. you got one minute, 45 seconds left. What, what are you going to choose? He said, obviously, you're going to choose Romans 8. It's not to say that all, all scripture is profitable. It's all inspired. But there are parts of scripture that are sweeter for us and Romans 8 has got to be one of them that's up there at the very high. Like and that. certainly
0: the Lord made it like that, yes. it's not, yeah. But we wouldn't, all to say, if we're saying, and that's certainly <laughs> the way i believe for a long time, it's the one that's most impacted me for by a long shot. Uh, someone said if the Bible is a ring, Romans would be the precious stone and Romans 8 would be the sparkling point of the Jew, of the jewel, and so there's no condemnation where we're going to start today. It's going to end in no separation, but all the way in between there's no defeat. I think you could argue that the rest of Romans 8 is a commentary on this first verse. So that's why it's really key, really key, that we have a grasp of this idea of no condemnation. And um, I think it was Boyce that said there's four really key words here, and they're all in a row. Therefore, now, no condemnation. Those four words. And therefore, um, most commentators, now again, this is uh, somewhat debated, but most commentators point back to the first seven chapters. Say that Paul may have had in mind, and how do we know for sure what Paul has in mind here? Especially probably those commentators that lean that Romans 7 Verses 14 to 25, if you were there for that, if that's talking about a mature believer, remember that's a debatable, but that's where we lean. If he's talking about a mature believer, then it seems like he this therefore is to go, okay, what have we learned so far? Chapter 1, that the Jew, well, we have the theme there, but that, that the Gentile has, has depravity. The depravity of man for the Gentile, chapter 2 for the Jew, Chapter 3, everybody's depraved, remember, who's righteous, no, nobody, no not one, together we've all become worthless, some really sad, uh, a sad commentary on who man is, then chapter uh, 3 gets to the gospel, remember, 21 to 26, maybe the most important paragraph I've ever written, some scholars say, that it is just the gospel laid out in six verses beautifully done. And then after that, we get to justification, chapter 4 and 5, remember, where we learn a lot about justification there. And Josh, while we're on that, could you connect chapter 5, verse 1, and turn back there, page or 2, chapter 5, 1, with 8, 1. The number of commentators made this connection, and you were talking about that.
2: Yeah, I guess when I was thinking about this whole idea of there being no condemnation in Christ, and then in 5.1, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Maybe there's a little bit more on the application side, but it was just striking to me that this was a, a reality. Just as we were once enemies with God, we were hostile to God, and we were not on the right side with God. In the same way, we were standing under God's condemnation. We were facing it right, rightfully because he is a just God. He will rightfully uh, punish sin. Um, but the truth, I guess, seeing what our status was before. Mm-hmm. There was no peace. You know, we deserved his condemnation. But now there being no condemnation. And then the, the strength of how um, Paul makes this point, there is therefore now no condemnation, I think was maybe
0: A little bit refreshing for me this week as I was looking at it, and there used to certainly be. So yeah, and and now there is a huge change. I love what you're saying there, Josh. No condemnation, none. Right. This is that in this chapter is to convince us of that. It has all been washed away. There is nothing left of that, and that is a phenomenal thought to think about. You know, and that doesn't depend on how godly we live in any day, right? It's not depending on our performance at all. It only depends on what Jesus has done. And that's just so, it's, it's such a astronomically important truth that we have this understanding of our new status, our new position. And why is that so important? Because then I think our practice Will start matching up in a greater way each day in sanctification. And that's what chapter six through eight are about. In sanctification, our practice begins to match up closer and closer with our position. Scott?
3: Yeah, I'm, just an amazing verse, Romans 8 1. It's just, you could spend the whole time on Romans 8 1. I really think so. You're just some different quotes from different people. Uh, one of the most beautiful statements in all of Scripture glorious word of assurance, the glorious anchor for the people of God to have stability in their souls. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, this is one of the great statements of the scripture, one of the most important for Christian experience and for the health and well-being of the Christian believer. This is, in a sense, the great good news of the gospel. And the, the idea there's no, uh, different people talked about it, but again, verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation. The no is emphatic, is what Sinclair Ferguson said. He said, not any, no, not one, not even one. I mean, this, it's, it's amazing. I yeah. you think about your past sin, your current sins, none of them, we will not be condemned for any of them. It's extraordinary. And I was just thinking... I mean, I think in application, I tend to go to application. So I was thinking, applications, there's, there's lots of applications, just on first one. But I thought three things. I thought uh, number one, it's the song I think Jen mentioned before, the throne of God above. We had the Thursday night in Colossians, one of our favorite hymns. And when we're tempted to despair, when Satan tempts me to despair from from my inward sin, upward I look and I see Him there who made an end of all my sin. This is where we go. We look to Christ. But another great place that we can go to is Romans eight one. Uh, I think Lloyd Joseph, we have a gospel remedy. He said we should pull out that sword of the Spirit, Romans eight one, when we're tempted by our Satan comes and says, you're going to be condemned for these sins. sins, I have past sins that are horrible, and they'll come to mind. And if you feel condemnation for these sins, pull up this gospel remedy. Pull up, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I mean, what stability that should give us. So I think going there with this gospel remedy, I think, uh, number two, uh, theology should lead to doxology. That's what Packer says. I mean, it should lead us to worship. It should stir us. I think Ferguson, at the end of his sermon, he was just praying, like, Lord, thrill us by it. I mean, we should be thrilled and stirred that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think three, it should lead us uh, to to share this. I mean, what good news this is uh, to tell other people. And it made me think of a guy named Archibald Brown, who was a pastor who was really good friends with Charles Spurgeon. He, he studied at Spurgeon's Pastors College, and he, he became a pretty well-known preacher. And uh, his sermon, he had a very large church of several thousand people too. His sermons would be published and be printed. People would get his sermons, they would write him letters about, you know, how these sermons had impacted them. And sometimes people would write him a letter saying, there's a person in great need in the city, you should go visit them. And one particular occasion after preaching a sermon, someone wrote to him and said, you need to go visit this woman, she's in great need, you need to go see her. So he stopped what he was doing and he went to go visit this woman, in a very poor area. And he walked in, this woman was, he thought, 28 years old. She had two children. And he knew immediately when he looked at her, this woman is dying, Like right? She's dying, he knows this woman is gonna die. And so he just very bluntly told her pretty early on in the conversation, he said to her, my dear friend, do you know that you're dying? Dying, sir? Do you think I am dying? And then Brown said, My poor girl, it would not be kindness of me to hold back the truth. I think you are. I will do all I can for you. I do not think your days on earth are very many. It turns out she had 10 days left. She was going to die in 10 days, and he saw this. He realized this, so he knows he's got to get the gospel to her. And so he said, Do you know anything about Jesus Christ? The tears came in her eyes, and she said, I heard of him when I was in Sunday school some years ago. I said, Have you not heard anything of him lately? Ain't been to no place of worship to speak of for the last eight years, sir. I said, would you like to be saved? She said, do you think he would be willing? Would Jesus be willing to save one like me, she said to him. And so then he gave this basic simple gospel illustration, walked it through and just urged her to sort of trust in Jesus again. And she said again, do you think he will take me? know, A sinful person like me, a poor person like me, will Jesus take me? And he said, there's no doubt, whatever about that, I can guarantee that he will take you. And apparently she trusted in Christ, and ten days later she departed and went to be with Christ. But, I mean, we have this glorious good news. that Yes, we, we want to tell people the bad news. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we can tell people if you turn and trust, you can be forgiven, no condemnation. I mean, it's just amazing. It yeah. should encourage us to, to tell people this good news.
0: That's, that's great, Josh. I like your thoughts on that. Uh, and it was MacArthur who said it, and so did Morris. MacArthur said the word for condemnation focuses on the penalty as well as the burden right? There's no condemnation. We were guilty, now we're innocent, and we were condemned to hell, and now we're not. Okay. and I, Morris said it too. Do you define it as a forensic term in which uh, here includes both the sentence, guilty, right, and the execution of that sentence? Can you kind of talk about that? I yeah, love that.
2: Yeah, I just want to think a little bit about condemnation, but uh, just looking at this term, what it means it's a it's a very strong term and I think it sets in contrast with justification but it it is a death sentence and it's the verdict and uh, the the guilty pronouncement of eternal death and um, that is what we ultimately deserved and so when Paul says no condemnation he's saying this eternal death sentence uh, Steve Lawson said it's like a a noose hanging around our neck that's been removed that no condemnation means that Pronouncement of eternal death has been removed, and I like this quote by a guy named Charles Cranfield. He said, "For those in Christ, there is no divine condemnation, since the condemnation they deserve has already been fully borne by Him." And I think Paul immediately goes in to explain in the following verses how it can be that there is now no condemnation. How does this, how does this actually work? And uh, I mean, we ultimately know. Christ took the place of condemnation we deserved on the cross. The, the condemnation that was due for sin was absorbed by him. Um, but, yeah, anyways. This made me think how
0: many times Mark has reminded us. I'm so grateful for him. How many times he's reminded us that the reason that we're not condemned is that Jesus was. Remember when he says from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so we know from Hebrews 13, 5, he'll never leave us or forsake us. But, he did forsake his son and we just think of that deep love and it really makes this passage and amazing when MacArthur said these two things he said all that we earned was condemnation it's only in Christ Jesus that we have no condemnation and that was impossible for us to achieve on our own only Jesus could have done it that's very humbling no condemnation and this is I think important does not mean that God won't continue to discipline us that's a difference there. He will continue to discipline us. He loves us. He'll continue to train us in the way we go. Hebrews twelve is very clear on that. So even though we're not condemned, that doesn't mean that he's still not really working seriously in our life with the good times and the trials to make us more like uh his son. There if we if any of us, and I don't think if you're a believer in here, my guess is you're you know that this is what you deserve and uh, and that's very clear if someone doesn't there's three things we share in adam's original sin that's the first reason we deserve condemnation every person is born with a sinful nature those are related but that's true as well and because of the sinful things we do right The, the actual sins we've done we deserve condemnation for all of that but now it's changed Jesus took the condemnation. Boy said that the word no, like Scott said, is just so strong. Never, ever, ever, ever are you going to be in condemnation. You may feel condemned, but if you feel condemned, that's certainly not the Holy Spirit. He will never make you feel condemned because that's contrary to Scripture. I love that. Now, how can you tell? And I'd like to hear from anybody on this. It's always fun to hear the students when we talk to them about this. How can you tell if it's conviction or condemnation? Because both of them are kind of about your sin. Does so anybody have any insights on how, or you guys, on how can we tell if it's conviction, which is from the Holy Spirit, or condemnation, which is from Satan, or our own hearts or the world?
1: How do you respond to the gospel? I think that's an important part of it. Because if you are... We know that if we confess our sins before God, he is faithful to forgive us of our sins. Yeah. So that's
0: important as well. That's good. As far as east is from the west, whiter than snow. Okay. So does that... I like that, Jerry. So does that conviction point you to the gospel or... What's the difference if it's condemnation? Usually, how does it make you feel? I mean, we don't always, always want to go by our feelings, do we, Josh? But Josh is a counselor; he knows that's bad. <laughs> what do you what? What's condemnation? How does it make you feel different than conviction? Hopeless. Hopeless. I think that's huge. I I'm, and I'm wondering if that's one of the best. Uh, actually I love the were you going to say I was going to say conviction drives you to God condemnation drives
3: you away I think
0: that's it yeah so there's this hope when you're convicted is that like Jerry says confess your sins he's faithful and just forgive your sins cleanse you from all unrighteousness right and there's hope in that but condemnation's like oh no I'm done I'm done. I'm condemned I'm never gonna this is gonna plague me forever. i like there's this hopelessness, like I think you're you're saying, Miss Hawkman, and so and so I think that's it. Are you is it causing you to race to Jesus conviction to race away from Jesus kind of nation? And so hopefully that's kind of a... uh can be helpful to if it's hard to discern, um, sometimes. Josh, you read verse two for us. This um or any other thoughts on <coughs> condemnation? We we'll come Can, back can and I just say, yeah. say
2: this one thing? I'm not a Greek scholar, but the, this word uh, is used, I think, two other times in Romans. And I just thought it might be helpful to read these verses to see a little bit also of the contrast with justification. But if you flip back to Romans 5, you see it in 16 and in verse 18. I'll just read starting in 516 b For on one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. And then verse 18. So as through one transgression, though there resulted in condemnation to all men, Even so, the one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. And so you see, I think in the second one, especially, we don't get condemnation, we get justification. And it's only because of the work of Christ. And we're, you know, in chapter 5, it's talking about being not in Adam anymore. He's no longer our federal head. It's Christ. And then we get justification instead of condemnation. But I thought those two verses helped to sort of set the contrast because a number of the commentators pointed out when he uses that double negative, he's, he probably has in the back of his mind, on the flip side, the positive meaning of being justified.
0: Good. Yeah, Scott, Amor on condemnation? Yeah, just think,
3: oh, I'm reading about this Scottish minister right now named Andrew Bonar, but he's got his diary in his life, his letters and stuff. But in his diary the other day I read that he said, uh, he said, I am not worthy of the very least of his mercy. I think you start there i'm not worthy of the very least of god's mercies and you work your way up to romans 8 1 and just so it'll just be sweeter and sweeter when you get no condemnation i'm deserving of the least of his mercies no condemnation hidden in christ it just makes it the worship i think stirred why that's really good grant
1: yeah it's just i think this verse um a lot of times i just i'm so familiar with it i don't sit on it like i should and, and scott you've done this several times is where you would discuss Like, what would have happened if you hadn't become a believer and you had had, like, a close call with death or something like that? And, like, what if I had died back then? I think back to when I had a bad four-wheeler accident. If I had died back then, what would have been true for me? And the answer was there would be condemnation. And I think thinking through what that condemnation is can – because I think a lot of times the temptation is, like, if you live somewhere really beautiful and you drive past a beautiful view sometimes – um, you're like wow you know like the coast of California or something or a beautiful mountain scene like this is phenomenal and then if you work there you take that drive every single day over and over and I remember one time I was riding with someone who lived where there's a beautiful scene and I was just like wow and he turns like oh yeah it is pretty isn't it and, you know he had <laughs> driven it hundreds and hundreds of times so it was just, it was just a little bit used to it um, but I think if we apply that here like if we go and see what what condemnation would have looked like for us I'm thinking of in book club when we were reading uh holiness of God by R.C. Sproul and the chapter on uh sinners in the hands of an angry God and it's basically just put yourself in the position of uh being condemned by God I just think of like if God just did not answer or listen to my prayers at all he just totally ignored everything about me and I was going to just incur uh, his divine wrath one day, deserved, but just the horror of that and thinking about it taking place uh, specifically to me, that was really powerful in the moment. I think that can kind of dispel some of this familiarity if we really feel, wow, I did deserve condemnation and this is what it would look like for me, but now there actually is none of that for me. uh, Because of what Christ's done, it can sort of re-inflame the beauty of this verse; it can kind of dis- dispel that familiarity.
0: I think so. Papa has uh, suggested uh, part of him memorizing Romans eight has been great for him in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, you go back to it, you rehearse the old, the old truths. Yeah, crazy.
3: Um, I was going to say uh, condemnation
0: generally tends to be uh, self-centered. Yes, sir. And uh, conviction generally is Christ-centered. I love that. Yeah, but well, isn't that the case? Yeah, condemnation just makes us miserable about ourselves and makes us focus on us Yeah, not super good insights there and so let's not don't you think it it reminds me of this again the unbeliever is not nearly as miserable as they ought to be they're not whatever their attitude which is usually bad it's probably better than it really ought to be if they really thought about the, the place they were in if they really understood condemnation it would be so terrifying I'm not sure they're leaving the front door. As believers, isn't it not the other way? We're missing it. If we are cranky, if we're glum about things, if we walk about and do our day in a way where we are so burdened, we are somehow missing this great truth. So I think, Scott, I think you guys all three made this point. Go back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. And not just daily, hourly, minutely, maybe. And to just think, I'm not getting what I deserve here, that is so thrilling, and we're going to get in about nine weeks to 32. He did not give us, He did not spare His own Son, but He gave it to us all. How will He not along with Him now graciously give us all things? So, everything else follows after this one. And that's why I think the rest of Romans 8 you'll find is commentary on this. It's to make us secure. It's to make us feel thrilled about every second of it. How about 2 through 4, Joshua?
2: Yeah. Uh, For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin... He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit.
0: Good. Um, verse 2 to start there. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Now Paul has used law a number of different times which makes it sometimes a little bit confusing. Here we believe it's talking about the principle. The law being the, uh, the principle. The principle of sin. And the principle of the spirit of life. The principle there. Not necessarily the mosaic law. In verse 3, though, it seems that he changes the way he's using the word to where it is the mosaic law. In chapter 4, kind of the moral law. And so we don't want to get into weeds over that uh, and completely just too technical, because at that point we might miss uh, all that there is um, in the application of it. But I think it's important to see there he uses the word law um, in some different ways. I think it's helpful when we think about it. Anything that you guys uh, see there about being set free, the importance of that. Josh, in counseling, that has to be a huge thing if you're counseling believers that they're really free from this sin. Whatever sin they're struggling with is which is why they're seeing you or a counselor. Yeah. I, this
2: is nothing revolutionary that we haven't talked about but it's this in, in chapter 6 especially and you've made the point over and over we don't have to sin anymore. The you know and you think about some of the life-dominating sins that have become habituated over time. And it's, I think, a wave of good news. Because the Holy Spirit is now indwelling us, we don't have to sin anymore. It may feel like we're enslaved to a certain sin, but we aren't free. Ultimately, we're free.
0: Yeah, that's big. Uh, Scott, your buddy Jerry Bridges, wrote a pretty good book on, uh, on sin that you guys are now, without spilling all the beans, some of those sins that don't seem as bad, we're free from those and we need to think about that as well. We can't say, I'm going to kind of codify these few that don't seem too bad because I'm not really murdering or, um, you know, doing all kind of that kind of bad stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we were just reading at the beginning where he just said, uh, like, our respectable sins, quote unquote, the least of them deserve the curse of God. Yeah. I think you come back to that, and it means you don't want to ever treat sin lightly. You want, to, you want to fight against it. Plus, we've been freed from this, which is what exactly what Josh is saying. Like we don't even want to do this anymore. Now right. we're empowered to go free. And I think uh, no one knows exactly who wrote this. Uh, John Newton has been attributed to John Bunyan, different people. But it's the where it says, "Run, John, run!" The law commands, which Mark has quoted this before, but gives neither feet nor hands. Like it's powerless to help us obey it this is far better news the gospel brings it bids us fly and gives us wings which is just a great little couplet, or whatever you call it but this i'm stealing this from another pastor but i'm making it my own like if you have this stone a dead stone in your hand or if i have i gave it to michael our son and he loves to throw things so if i gave him a dead hard stone we we're outside and i said buddy okay you throw it into the woods like as hard as you can he, he he's the lefty he winds up like probably three times he was doing it yesterday at the party he was throwing sticks everywhere he winds up he lets that thing go as hard as he can it immediately, when it leaves his hand, it's going to meet the law of gravity, which has this downward pull, and it's going to pull that stone down, no matter how hard it feels, it's going to pull it to the ground. But if I took him behind the transit, said, buddy, i got something a little special right here, I pull out this bird in a birdcage, and I reach into the birdcage, and I grab it, I said, buddy, now hold onto this, swing it back three times, and let it go. And he starts winding up, and he lets that thing go. Well, it it's going to, the law of gravity doesn't cease. The law of gravity is still there, but it has more power. Like, it overcomes the law of gravity, and the bird flies off into the sky. Well, that's the idea. We're empowered now by the Holy Spirit. We have wings for, through the gospel, and now we, we can fly. We get to fly. We're able to fly through, through the gospel through the Holy Spirit.
0: I like that. You missed that for the first 27 weeks that you were here. We didn't get those kind of... <laughs> that's, really, that's really good. Yeah, that's gonna give us some, some meat to think about. This, this first two, you have to love the, the law of the spirit of life. That principle has set you free in Christ Jesus. Don't miss the in Christ Jesus, right? Verse one, verse two. Paul's favorite, I think, um, phrase for being unified with Christ and all that goes with that. In Christ Jesus, because you're in Christ Jesus, that's what uh, that's what you have. Grant anything on two there, or heading into three, where I know you have a feast. How about two. Yeah, how about three? Um. <clears throat>
1: For what the law could not do, weak as it was, through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as a sin offering, as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. I'm I'm reading from the LSB because I do think they they got it right here. I think maybe in the ESV, um, I don't exactly remember what it says. Let's see. in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh and then LSB is for what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh, God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin I think this just brings us right back to propitiation where I like to be Um, I really do like it, it seems to be just a cornerstone of the gospel message for me, it gives it so much explanatory power because if you lose it you just have expiation where it's just the removal of sin and you probably saw um, from the video yesterday, if you if you watched it, that you just you you lose Christianity when you have that. I think the closest guy that was anywhere remotely towards still being claiming a, as a believer, kind of the really southern accent guy. I don't remember his name, where he just he just says that it's just expiation, it's just the removal of sin, and Christ dying on the cross is just an example to us of extreme love. And an example or a model of forgiveness, and that's like his gospel. It's you just lose the beauty of, uh, and it's an attack on God's character. It, it undermines God char- God's character that He is both just and the justifier. Um, that He can forgive us. He can't expiate sins, but not just not just without a cost. There was a there was a high cost for Christ on the cross, and He bore it
0: uh, willingly and uh, for us. Anyway. Yeah, I love that. One of the commentators said. Because I might have thought Second Corinthians five twenty one right God made sin uh, him have no sin becomes sin for us so in him we might become the righteous like I might have thought well that might be the main verse he said he would go to verse three here you know the verse three and four are as good as there is on the substitutionary atonement uh, a propitiation that that Christ did for us Joshua um, Scott anything for us two or three. Well, with with three, I just want to also say, you're uh, you're getting so much
1: packed into one verse. I think you get the incarnation in there as well for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh. I think that's talking about not that the law was weak, but that we can't keep it in our in our flesh. The flesh is the problem, not the law. Uh, God did sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin. So we see that. Uh, I think it was in this book. Uh, who is this by? Derek Thomas, where he talks about that if, if Christ was going to represent us. Uh, he had to be truly God to be able to represent us from God to us and then he also had to be truly man to to represent us as men and we see that in the likeness of sinful flesh not saying that he was sinful flesh but he came in the likeness of sinful flesh that he was truly a man and also truly God. So you get incarnation and you get propitiation all in one verse there which is amazing.
0: Yeah I hope you get a chance to read Thomas if you have him Uh, he said Jesus came as I thought this was really a neat way to think of it he came as close to us as possible yet without sinning. He came as close as it could be by becoming a man but yet was without sin. And that's why we can go to the throne of grace with confidence. Knowing that he's going to give us the grace and mercy uh, that we need. Just beautiful thoughts here. Thinking of who he is and what he's done. Look at verse 4 then. um, To finish this off for today. In order that the righteous requirement of the law what was the righteous requirement of the law? There's perfection. Remember, the law is not the medicine. The law can't heal us. It can't be that because we have an inability to obey it perfectly, there's no way that the law could save us. And that's what the Jews, remember, from all the way back, were really mixed up in that. Like, we've been circumcised, or we've been... All of these things. Remember, Paul even talks about that in Philippians 3, he? where he had... Everything that he felt would have been that and he calls it all rubbish. Would have been enough to get him to heaven as an unbeliever. He called it all rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. So that's why the walk in so it's the thermometer, not the medicine. It just shows us how sick we are. And anytime we read scripture, I think it's gonna be a good reminder that these things they convict me. They they shine a bright light on my sin. And they point out where what needs to change in my attitude, in my words, in my thoughts, in the way I'm treating others, all of these things. So the law, I love what you said, there, Grant. It's not the bat; It's the flesh that we're fighting. It's not the law. And if you remember uh, uh, the law and uh, Dr. Law and Dr. Flesh by, what's that guy? Uh, what is, I can't forget his name right now. Roll but, up. Yeah, Lester Roloff, our old friend Lester Roloff, way old friend, he says that when you go as a believer, once you're convicted by the law and you go see Dr. Grace, when you go back to the law, it's not nearly so, he's not nearly so uh, condemning anymore. Now the law is something we want to obey. We get to obey. Chapter uh, 8, verse 4 yet. So this is the righteous requirement of the law. Might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Could you guys talk about just the holiness now that we're called to? And we see in the beginning of this. We'll feast on it again next week, but kind of give us an introduction to here. Our life is completely changed, Scott. You got Can I, just,
3: can I just start with one something on three? And let them think about verse four and let them. I just, I, yeah. Three has been so striking to me that. God would send His own Son. I think uh, Martin Lloyd Jones said His own Son. Like what a s- incredible statement! is verse three has just been mind blowing to me. And he, Lloyd Jones said, "Salvation is God's salvation. Like God's the one who initiated. God's the one who sent His own Son." And, he, and Ferguson said, "Like where did God send His Son uh, to men and women who have rebelled against God, who are alienated from God?" And He says to His Son, "Go and visit them." And I don't, not only want you to visit them, but I want you to die for them. And it's just absolutely amazing. And Lloyd Jones just said, "He so loves you." That he sent his own son into the wolf. I mean, it's just amazing and he said Lloyd-Jones said let us meditate and continue to meditate upon this astounding declaration and it, it reminded me of a story from Liliana's first book club when uh this this group of godly ladies were gathering for for study and there was this new christian i shared this a, a few weeks ago at one of our tables this new christian brand new christian is there with all these mature christians and they're they're, at the beginning of the time they're chit-chatting around at the beginning of time and she's got her bible and she 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 opens it up and she finds her little spot that she'd been reading that last night and she waits for her opportune time she gets her opportune time she said i gotta share the most amazing verse that i read last night you gotta hear this verse and she said for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And, she, and, and Barbara Hughes said every woman had tears in their eyes because they had they knew this verse since they were they had memorized it that they were a child. But here's this woman new Christian who's amazed by the reality that God would send his Son, and they are all freshly stirred again. I think that's Romans eight three for me this week has been like God sent His Son. It's just amazing
0: it's wow. so good.
2: I just jumping off that it's on that verse you think about condemnation and God being a just God. All of our sin was punished on Christ and sin will be punished ultimately in you know in hell. God's wrath being poured out on the unbeliever, but for those that are in Christ, you know, in union with him, it was the full measure of God's wrath poured out on him and the the sentence of condemnation uh, went on him and it didn't come to us so I, just what you said reminded me of that And it, I do think like what you're saying it is great news and it should I think produce some uh, gratitude in our hearts once we see that we should have been condemned and that was the verdict that would have come to us and we would have had to pay the punishment for our sin one day uh, but we don't because of Christ
0: yeah that's good Dr. Cross you remind us often don't delay gratitude and that's—I think that'll happen. As we are very grateful for what God's done for us, we will then show gratitude in every other way. And you know, we'll be quicker to to tell people thank you because we 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 know what God's done for us. We would want to model that for others, Grant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think I have anything new to say
1: other than. We see the source of this is that God sent, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, and I think that's talking about the flesh of Christ. But that it's outside of us that this salvation came, that God initiated, it. He sent Christ um, to bear that punishment for sin in our place. That it's not something that we co-initiated with Him or had a little bit of effort Um yeah, I think that's important. Just to start before we go on because now we're getting to the obedience part, the holiness part. Right. It's it's an important distinction, I think.
0: Yeah, no, that that's great. We are called to live a different life. We are no longer needing to live according to the flesh. That was the old day. Those were the old times. That is not us anymore, but those who live according to the Spirit. That is every true believer. That's not only a special believer that's not an extra sanctified believer that is every believer will live according to the spirit not perfectly as Mark's reminded us often it's not perfection but there's a change in direction in that seven or eight quick things to go home with several of these have been mentioned for the unbeliever right now they stand rightly condemned the verdict of guilty is a justified verdict it's what they Uh, completely deserve and as the eternal punishment that goes with it, frightening for the believer now there's no sin that you've ever committed that will ever condemn you Jesus is the propitiation the worst of sins never ever condemn you the status number two of having no condemnation will not and cannot change that cannot change that is locked in Um, we have ten more weeks to convince us of that you're secure because you're in Christ number three this status uh, gives us a tremendous joy and it makes it a joy to confess our sins like Jerry reminded us when we confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive our sins this is a side note but I think it's important be quick I think no condemnation should make it quick for us to confess our sins to others too it's no longer a hard thing for the believer to say they're sorry. That becomes a natural thing. We're not condemned for that anymore. Go to people that you've wronged and confess that sin. All of a sudden, that becomes a joy to do that. It's what we do naturally as believers because this thing is away. It's not we're not condemned for that anymore, but that should be something that we do. Um, far more often and far more naturally and without delay when we've wronged somebody, when we've said a, a wrong word or, or done a wrong action. or Let's be quick to condemn it. That's what this gives us, the freedom to do. We're free to do that. When you feel condemned, it's not the Holy Spirit, number four. It's certainly Satan or uh, the world or our own evil nature. Number five, our biggest problem, the problem that influences... All of this life and eternity has been eternally exhausted. Jerry Bridges says propitiation is that God's wrath has been not just um, taken away, not just satisfied, that perfect wrath has been exhausted. It is gone. It is gone forever. That was our biggest problem by a long way. All our other issues uh, are nothing compared to that one. That's done with now. Don't be glum about your other problems, right? Let's not get caught in getting so devastated by our other problems. And we have some, right? We have a lot of things going on. We have a lot of trials. Verse 32, verse 31 says, What shall we say then to these things? God's for us. who can be against Is He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's already done the biggest thing he could do. By sending his son. After that, will he not take care of your finances? Will he not take care of your marriage? Will he not take care of giving you a wife or a husband? Will he not take care of everything else he's promised to? Go back to this as foundational. And then see everything else is definitely going to come as well. Maybe not just like we like it. This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity deal. But what's perfect for you, number seven. Share this with everybody, Scott said it. How can we not share this with her? Quasi, huh? Everybody, right? Let's just tell people. This is unbelievable. The news here is incredible. Let's not hold this, hide it under a bushel, no. If you grew up in like the 1960s, you used to sing that. And number seven, eight, this opens up the throttle to the abundant life Jesus has called us to live right? All of a sudden, we are ready to live like gangbusters for the sake of the gospel. Because what's holding us back? How can we lollygag around after this? Let's get Scott's been the best on that to help us remind us, let's get after it. We have plenty of ammunition right here to get us um, far more aggressive about the gospel. Scott, would you pray for us? Sure.
3: Heavenly Father, it's such a joy to be able to do this uh, with these guys, Grant and Josh Jerry. Uh, Thank you for their uh, labor uh, of love all these weeks uh, doing Romans so far and all the time that they've invested. Uh, Just really thankful for them and just the chance to be able to do this. What an incredible chapter Romans 8 is. Uh, So thankful that it is in the Bible and what a great start to it. Uh, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an incredible verse. may we take time to to marinate and meditate on it this week the emphatic no no not one none nothing we'll never be condemned for any of our sins because we are hidden in christ we're hidden in the cleft of the rock we're hidden in the rock of ages. the lord jesus who was condemned for these sins and he cannot suffer twice so thank you for the precious good news of the gospel thank you for romans 8 3 that you sent your own son it was your plan all along and out of love for us out of love for a sinful world you sent your own son and to the world to be condemned uh, for our sins. It's extraordinary good news. Uh, help us to be changed by it. Help us to uh, worship in light of it, to be grateful for it. Help us to, to share this good news with others. Uh, I pray for the service that you'd be at work through Greg and through Ian and through others singing and through Mark as he teaches. And Help us to be changed by your word in the service. We ask this in
0: Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Hey, if you have not memorized by next week, Thomas, Shane, we'll let you say it at the <laughs> beginning. Thank you.